Hey, good morning, church. Today we're in Romans chapter 12, and we're starting a new series about transformation. Be transformed. This is what God has destined you for. Now, the point of being a caterpillar is not to stay a caterpillar. Those little kind of cute but sort of ugly, furry little guys that crawl around and eat as much as they can have a destiny. They go into a cocoon and come out completely different. So I want to ask you this. If 2020 is the cocoon, and the world that went in is the caterpillar, what's gonna come out the other side? In fact, if the church went into the cocoon in 2020, what do we expect to come out the other side? If you went into a season in 2020 that was like a cocoon, what do you think God is doing in you and in us and in this world on the other side? This is the question of transformation. What is God producing? and? Right now, when I read my kid books at night, uh, and there are many of them, thankfully, he's got a library of kids' books. One of them is the hungry caterpillar, and this hungry caterpillar eats all kinds of things. He eats ice cream cones and cupcakes and apples and peaches, and after several days, he's got a terrible tummy ache, so he eats one green leaf and feels a little better, and then he goes into his cocoon, and of course, when he comes out, He's a beautiful butterfly. So I read this book to my son, and if I can get him to pay attention at all, uh, he'll look at the pictures and sometimes give the caterpillar a kiss. But I know that right now his mind doesn't fully understand what is happening to that caterpillar. You know, he hasn't developed to the point yet where he can understand all of the words and all of the pictures and everything that's happening. But my plan for my son is not to have him on my lap reading Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar for the rest of his days. My hope is that a slow and steady renewing of his mind as he explores and learns new ideas and new words every day will lead my son to be a person who will read somewhat more technical literature someday, like we're going to move up to storybooks and then maybe into comic books, and hopefully we'll start to read together uh, great works of literature or theology, read, read the scriptures together. His mind is going to be able to grasp more and more as time goes on. That's the goal, isn't it? I don't want him to stay just as he is. I want him to experience growth, the forming of a person, the forming of a life. And this is what God wants for us too. Yes, for you and me as individuals, but for us as the church to grow, to become conformed to the person of Christ, the Son, to the image of the Son. That's what Romans 8.29 was all about a few weeks back when we were in that passage. And now we get to look into the part of the book of Romans where Paul talks about this transformation and what the colors on the butterfly look like and how the butterfly moves and how the butterfly eats and the way that it rests on the edge of a leaf so delicately. Everything that Paul describes in Romans 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 is still his pastor's heart. What he was teaching us through his pastoral theology in chapters 9, 10, and 11, that, that was not just a systematic theology. It was for the healing of the church, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free. Now what we see in 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 is the way that that pastoral theology plays out into practice and into the life of the church. So I want to invite you to join me in Romans chapter 12 as we look at this transformation and the power that it offers for us 
and the vision of where God is growing us towards and what he's growing us into to be transformed. This is what God destined us for. And as we look at being transformed today, we're going to see that it's a group project and we all have a part. So let's look at our text together. I'm in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes to the Roman Christians, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. His word urge is the Greek word parakaleo, which means I call you. It's a strong word. Sometimes God calls us to things. Well, now Paul, the apostle, the teacher, the one with the pastor's heart, shepherding the people of God in the church of God, Paul is calling the people to something. So this is a pretty strong word. It's a word of encouragement also. I encourage you would be a good translation of this word. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul has in mind everything he's just written to them about. Uh, remember Romans 11. God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. Now this is a different word for mercy. It's a word for compassion, but it's the same idea. That God has shown great compassion on all people, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slave and free, black and white, uh, of of all the different nations in the world, of all the different political beliefs in the world, of all of the different uh, food preferences in the world. No matter what our group is or what our preferences are, God has shown us mercy already. He's given us grace. And specifically, in Jesus Christ, when we come into him, he gives us this perfect grace of Jesus and of the Spirit. So now, Paul, looking at these Christians uh, through the letter and through the eyes of Phoebe, the deliverer of the letter, says to them, remember God's mercy. That is going to be key for transformation. That is our foundation. And so offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, this is a group project. Uh, Paul is well aware that the transformation God desires is not just an individual project. If that were the case, Paul would just focus on his own transformation. Forget about the churches. If that was the case, we would just have private relationships with God. Forget about the church. But no, the church is Jesus' bride, the body of Christ. Uh, God has called the church together. He loves the local church. And for God, this grouping of the people with all other differences, but finding unity under the banner of Jesus Christ, that's the transformation God's looking for. It's a group project, and we all play a part. Now, here's some of the evidence for that. In this verse 1, when Paul writes, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he moves from plural to singular. He says, offer your bodies, plural, all of us offer the body that we've got, as a living sacrifice, singular. What is that sacrifice? Well, it's the church united, offering our gifts. With all of our different colors, ethnicities, and preferences, and tastes, and abilities, it is us coming together to offer our worship to God, our service to God, and to each other. And so offer your many bodies as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I want to pause over those words for a minute, true and proper worship. Now, I'm reading this from the NIV this morning, but if you were reading from a different version, maybe the New American Standard or uh, the Revised or New Revised Standard or one of the King James Bibles or the NLT or the Message, you'd find probably a few different words here. Uh, for instance, I think that in the ESV it says this is your spiritual worship. And some of the other versions say the same thing. Some of them will say this is your spiritual service. Some of them will say it's your rational service or your uh, reasonable worship. So we've got a variety of words uh, that are coming through in the English here. Well, this is because in the Greek phrase that's used here, 
which is a logicon latreon, we have this word that sounds like logical. In fact, it's where we get our word logical from. It has to do with the mind. It has to do with thinking. So this is your logical, reasonable worship. And there's different words for worship in the Greek language. Like one is proskuneo, which means to throw yourself down in front of somebody. That's when someone is prostrating themselves in worship before God or before Jesus. Now this word, though, latreon, has to do with the items of service that were performed in the temple. So the lighting of wicks, the trimming of wicks, the uh, setting out of the showbread, the, the offering of the sacrifices, and the sprinkling of blood, all of these acts of service. Now, in churches, we have what we typically call an order of worship, or maybe an order of service. And that might have things on it like songs, and it might have things on it like prayers, and the reading of scripture, and the the communion meal that we take together and preaching. All of these other things that we put on that order uh, are kind of, in a way, like the orders of worship that would have been done in the temple in the Jewish religion or in any Greek or pagan temple in the world where there were specific things to be said at specific times and certain things to be done. But look carefully at what Paul is doing with this. He is not saying that the order of worship in the church songs, prayers, scripture readings, and so on, is the new form of, of true worship. He's saying that offering ourselves together for transformation, as many bodies but one sacrifice, that is our true worship. So what Paul is actually saying is that we're not building a Sunday morning blueprint of these specific items that have to happen just the right way to please God. He's saying pleasing God comes from when all of us of our different backgrounds and different ways of life are united under Christ and come together to serve God and each other under Christ. That, in other words, is the metaphor that Paul is using. When Paul says this is your reasonable worship or your spiritual worship, uh, in fact, that word logikon can be used uh, in the Greek language at that time to mean it's your metaphorical worship. So Paul's saying it like this, this is a picture of true worship. You, and so I would ask you, what picture do you have when you hear the word worship? Some people, when they hear the word worship, think, well, that's singing. Uh, some people think, well, that's all of the things that happen on Sunday morning during that hour. Some people think, well, that's any time my mind is attuned to God and I'm considering God and his ways. Some people will think it has to do with my private prayer life. All of these are true, but the picture of ultimate worship that Paul paints here, the, the metaphor that the temple is, is actually the people of God coming together, uniting together in service to Jesus Christ. This is powerful. This means that uh, God takes more seriously the way we treat each other than the way we put things in order on Sunday morning or, or on Saturday night or on any other day of the week. This means that for God, recognizing the body, which is the people of God in the church of God, is of critical importance. And sometimes when we take the communion supper, we think about recognizing the body of Jesus. So Paul does the same wordplay in the Corinthian letter when he talks about the body of Jesus on the cross. And he says, recognize the body, but he's just used the word body to talk about the church. See, what Paul is doing is he's taking these metaphors and he's saying, can't you see all of these people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they matter to you. So love each other. Serve as one. Come together. This is a group project and we all have a part. Now, Paul's not done emphasizing that. In fact, all of today's reading has to do with that one basic point. 
Verse 2, he'll continue that theme. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world or this age. What Paul has in mind here is not uh, that, that physical things like in the world are bad and only spiritual things are good. He has in mind and he's saying that there's a pattern of this age, a pattern of how we use power, of how we lust after things, of how we seek after control, of how we uh, try to steer others, of how we have jealousies and rivalries and all of these kind of things that characterize this age. So he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this, this world, this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now look at, again, he goes from plural to singular. He says, be transformed, that's all of you, everyone be transformed by the renewing of your mind, singular, so of your one mind. In other words, coming together to receive a fresh new mind, which is the mind of Christ. Paul does almost the same thing in the Philippians letter when he tells us over and over we need to have the same mindset that Christ had. So for Paul, again, this is a group project and we all play a part. We all need to be transformed uh, like being transformed through the cocoon into the butterfly. But the way that we are all transformed is through the renewing of our joint mind. Uh, so that means the, that means both my own thinking and my own mind, but also the thoughts and, and the mind of everybody in the room in the church. This means that uh, what we're doing is we're being challenged to think differently, to experience and to hear what life feels like from that other body. Uh, what happens in that other mind? What has come from their experience? And what does God say about all of this? That is to be transformed, to be exposed to fresh perspectives and new ideas. So for the Jews and the Gentiles and their church here in Rome, that meant reconsidering what it looks like to my Jewish brother when I bring bacon into the church. And for the Jewish man coming into the church, it means reconsidering uh, what it might be like for my Gentile brother to try to buy any beef that wasn't offered at a pagan altar when it was slaughtered. So for these brothers and sisters in the church in Rome, it means listening and having dialogue and, and thinking along with each other. With God in the room and the Holy Spirit present, prayerfully listening to each other to see what is life like in their body. Okay, To be renewed means to experience different perspectives. Uh, boy, Paul isn't even done. In, in that same verse, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You see, this new mind is towards something. It's towards being able to be approvers of things in the world and attitudes with the same mindset that God has. So the direction of our transformation into Christ-likeness is so that we can function uh, as God's stewards on earth, as his apostles, his sent ones, as his church as the body of Christ, to say, yes, this is pleasing to God. And when brothers and sisters of diverse backgrounds come together and begin to share under the banner of Jesus and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God approves of that. God loves that kind of transformation. So, again, we have plural to singular. You all will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Again, it has to do with the whole church, plural, being able to test and approve what God's desire is, his, his singular will that's, that's pleasing and good and perfect. And that word perfect means complete and full. It's the goal of all of this, is God's will. So what we've got here is simply this, a picture of the many individuals in the church coming together to serve God 
and each other and have their minds refreshed and their minds renewed to be like the mind of Christ who loves all of them, who made all of them, who put them in their cultures, who put them in their neighborhoods, who put them in their families for the glory of God. You know, God has uh, an awareness of, of, of what's coming. It's his foreknowledge. And God's awareness, according to Paul in the book of Acts, is that he placed people in specific times and places so that they might seek him and maybe find him. That's a powerful idea, that God has put us somewhere so that we would come towards him and find him. And as we get closer to him, we come into the church. And in the church, we meet all these other people that have been coming from very different places. And we begin to find uh, the strength of our renewed mind in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in the rest of the passage, Paul just plays this out in some very practical ways. So uh, I'll take this a little bit faster, but look with me at verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 real quick. Again, this is a group project, and everybody plays a part. So Paul will say, by the grace given to me, this is Paul's part of the project, I say to you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Paul says God has given us all a gift. He's given us all a gift of grace from his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to use my grace gift to speak a word of truth to you now. In other words, Paul's grace gift seems to be prophecy. Prophecy is not just for telling the future in the New Testament, although sometimes that happens. Prophecy is speaking the truth in a provoking way that helps people see themselves in relation to that truth. It is a kind of stunning and eye-opening proclamation of the truth that reveals to people where they're at in relation to God. So Paul wants to say something here, prophetic to the church. Don't think of yourself too highly. Have sober judgment. And how do you do that? Well, he explains it. He says, it's based on the grace that God's given you uh, that's called faith. It's based on this grace gift called faith. God has gifted people faith. And when we have the faith of Jesus Christ that he has put into us, that is the basis of our self-evaluation. The best self-evaluation is what God says about you. And God says a couple of things about you. God says that you were so lost in your sin that he had to send his son for you to die in your place. God says about you, you were so loved even when you were in sin and an enemy of God that he was willing to do whatever it took to rescue you and redeem you. God says about you that he knows your future. He put you in a time and place to help you find him after all. And what God knows about your future is not so bad that God doesn't want you now and forever. God says about you that you need his forgiveness and that you're deeply loved, that you're fully known and you're still accepted. This is what God says about you. Now that is a resource for transformation. Because nothing will humble us like the cross of Jesus, that we deserved that punishment. And nothing will lift us up and secure us like the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, that God still loves us and wants us and has a future with us that he's planned for. So the best self-evaluation is what God says about you, and he says it through the word of faith in Christ. So Paul in 4, 5, 6, and 7 will say, so each one of us has a body with parts, fingers, toes, eyes, ears, nose, all the things you sing to your kid and, and that kind of thing as you're, as you're reading books and you're teaching them, you know, where are your eyes at, where are your ears at? God says, Paul says, all of us have these bodies with parts. And so the church has the same. People in it with gifts from God to use to build up the church. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve, teaching, teach, encourage. And notice the link here in the text. This is the same word that Paul used in verse 1. I encourage you, I urge you, I call you, brothers and sisters. So Paul was using that gift in verse 1. He says, if it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. Leading, then diligently. Showing mercy, do it cheerfully. And again, who has shown the greatest mercy? Romans 11. God has shown mercy on all. Now these, these gifts here, this list is a list of examples, not an exhaustive list. This is example, not exhaustive. There are other gifts. There's gifts that Paul talks about in different letters. These gifts he mentions now because they were on his mind as he thought about the church in Rome. There's probably people in Romans 16 attached to these gifts that he's thinking about, and he's thinking about their problems, and he's thinking about how they need to pay attention to these gifts. So kind of in summary here about the teaching of the text is that God wants us to come together. God wants us to come together despite our differences, and this means using what we've been gifted for for the good of all. This is actually what God calls worship. True worship, the metaphor, logical, spiritual worship, is not merely the order of things we do on Sunday. It's how we view the body of Christ and the people in it. It's learning to listen to black Christians and Hispanic Christians, Latino and Latina Christians. It's learning to listen to women Christians and children Christians. It's learning to make sure that we consider rich Christians and poor Christians uh, Christians who've been in prison and Christians who have never been arrested. It means talking to Christians who have had drug addictions and sex addictions and also listening to Christians who have had uh, some of the more easy-to-hide addictions like gossip. It means that as we look around the room, we've all got many faults and many perspectives, but we've lived an embodied experience. We're kind of a fuzzy, weird caterpillar, and we need to go through this transformation together into the glorious reality of the unity of the body of Christ. Unfortunately, being transformed by the renewing of our minds is precisely what most of us do not do. And I want to talk about this problem for just a minute before we're done today. Is that the transformation of the renewing of our minds is actually what most of us resist. And how does this happen? You know, we dig in to our position. We confirm our assumptions. We nurse our invisible biases. We listen to only the like-minded. And what happens when we listen to only the like-minded? We fail to have the opportunity to have a mind renewal because all the minds we're listening to are already like us. So when we confirm all of our presuppositions this way by only listening to people, who share the news in the way that we already think it should be shared, who to listening to podcasts that already agree with our positions, to reading books that only come from within our church tribe, our church fellowship. When we only talk to people and listen to people and read people who are like us, we just become more and more the same caterpillar, not a transformed butterfly. We don't gain anything from the other perspectives in God's kingdom. In fact, if we never listen to Presbyterians and Baptists and Catholics about what they think about God, we, we have nothing to sharpen in what we think about God. We don't have any way of knowing if they've discovered something true that we've missed. You know, when we only sit and listen to the same people over and over, we're actually failing to obey Scripture. 
This scripture teaches us that people who are obeying it will and must have a mind change. So for us to have a renewal of the mind means that some things I believed before I don't believe now. And that'll probably be a lifelong process. If I, ha if I don't change my mind on things, I'm failing to obey the scripture. Uh, you know, to not change your mind is actually arrogant in a way. It's prideful. And that's what Paul warns us against in verse 3 is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If I don't have a mind change on anything, if I never change what I think about politics, I never change what I think about immigration, I never change at all what I think about uh, economics, I never change at all what I think about uh, men and women in the church or, or any issue at all, then what that means is I think I've got it all right. I think I already know all the truth. That's arrogant. That's to pretend like Adam and Eve in the garden that my purpose is to be like God, to know everything. That's being prideful and it will stifle your spiritual growth. It will cut short your dialogue with Christians who have experienced life in a different way. It will cut short our fellowship with believers who think differently. Now, this is not to say that we throw out the essentials. In essentials, we've got to have unity. When it comes to things like the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and the fact that he's called his church to become sanctified and to be like Jesus Christ in the world, when it comes to the truths that he has a plan and a destiny for us that we can accept or reject, you know, we've got to, we've got to have unity on these essentials, that he's called us together for worship, that he's called us together for service, to make a difference in our community, in our world. And yet, those essentials are actually, you know, pretty few. Most things we can at least listen to each other and dialogue. And some of them I'm going to change my mind on, and some of them you're going to change your mind on as God renews our mind. To not do this is to assume that I am as wise as God, and that's folly. That's the kind of arrogance that destroys faith. I wonder what God wants the church to emerge as when we come out of the cocoon that's 2020. You know, we've been in our homes and isolated from each other for a long time, and now we have parking lot worship and a small service that meets indoors, but it's not quite the same as before. And we're probably not ever going back to the world the way it was. In fact, do we even want to? The world as it was, was blessed by God, but had serious problems. We want to keep moving forward with the Spirit into transformation as God calls us. What will that look like? We don't know. Let's keep talking about it. Let's keep sharing ideas. I pray for this cohort of people that's coming together to listen to great teachings about racial reconciliation. You know, when, the, when those 10 or 12 people, however many it ends up being, get together and go through nine months of in-depth study, of listening and of idea exchange, they're gonna come out transformed. And the hope is that then they'll be able to help us as a church to see new viewpoints, understand other opinions and renew our minds too. I pray that God gives that success. I pray that in our small groups and in our family devotionals, that the home point resources that we put to use uh, while we're at home, that the things that are discussed in our groups, that these, these will challenge and renew our minds, so that on the other end of the cocoon, God will reveal uh, the church 
as he needs it to be situated for 2021. Because God is going to need people in unique spirit-positioned roles in 2021 uh, that we, we can't even imagine right now. Because right now, you know, we're caterpillars waiting to be turned into butterflies. And God bless you and the peace of God go with you. Amen.